Good morning, everyone. Hey, it's great to be with you all this morning from uh, Peoria, Illinois. Uh, my wife and I have had a great time so far here in Salem. We uh, went up to Maine yesterday and enjoyed uh, the beautiful coast. Uh, and Pastor Ben and his wife Crystal have been excellent hosts, as well as your community. We've been enjoying. Where were we getting ice cream, Ben? Hoxies. Um, <laughs> I've spent money there, friends. Um, that's a it's a lovely place, um, and uh, really are excited. So ex- really, so excited to be here. In fact, that when when Ben told me what we were, what you all are doing this summer, uh, the church that I pastor, we made a similar decision. We're actually uh, walking through Mark as well as a church. Uh, and so I'm really excited to uh, participate in that with, with you all. Um, as, as, as Ben mentioned, we have planted a church. We're a new church in an old church building in uh, quite a neglected neighborhood of Peoria, Illinois. And I say neglected because a lot of times we, we say, what do we say? We say the hood. We say a poor neighborhood. Um, but here's the deal is that it's just been uh, passed by by its, its surrounding community. Uh, that's how this happens, by the way. Is how communities get that way is people ignore it. And so uh, we've, we've gone in and, and we are hoping that what we can do is can kind of reverse a trend of, uh, of, of ignoring and we can uh, be present with the gospel. And so if you think of Illinois or if Peoria hits your radar in any way, um, think of us. Think of us in Peoria um, and uh, we're, looking ex- we're looking forward to the future there. But today, of course, we're talking about the kingdom of God, and we're going to approach it in a couple of different ways. I'm going to draw from a few different passages in Mark and also the Gospel of Luke and, and share a few other stories as well to try to, to try to piece together what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God. And, and to begin our discussion, I want to, to, to open up by saying that the kingdom of God begins with announcement. And you talked a little bit about this if you were here last weekend at RCC, where you looked at Mark chapter 1, and you saw first a guy named John the Baptist draw from prophecy from a prophet named Isaiah that we read about in the Old Testament, and talk about how there is a kingdom of God that is coming. There is a new kingdom that is going to arrive. And then, of course, if we go later on in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus himself say um, that the kingdom of God is near, repent, believe the good news. If you were to have been around that period of time where John the Baptist was giving that announcement, then of of course Jesus gives that announcement as well, it would not have been out of the ordinary for you to hear an announcement of a kingdom. So in our day today, when someone perhaps is voted into a new elected office, whether it's local level, state level, national level, We read about it or hear about it, right? Uh, Radio, news, social media, newspaper. And that is really the way in which new uh, authority is announced. We're talking about announcement here. Without having those technologies in, in this day and time, this is what announcements looked like, is those actual rulers or messengers of those rulers going into the lands and the downtowns, if you would, of the villages in which that ruler was going to govern, and someone would audibly, in a circle square, announce, a circle square, a town square, (laughs) I caught myself at least, announce a new kingdom is beginning. And then they would share maybe a few bullet points as kind of week one action items of, you can expect this, this, and this. 
But every time a kingdom was announced, it would be just, for example, the, the kingdom of Pilate is here. We read about Pilate as a governor, uh, particularly when we talk about the week of Easter, Easter week. It was always a person. It was uh, the, the, the kingdom of like, like Caesar, right, and these different people. But here, we're talking about the kingdom of, of God, of Yahweh, of not necessarily, at least up until this moment in time, a, a person, a tangible person with flesh and bone. And so when you would have heard that, you probably would have responded in a few different ways. The first way would probably be how I would have responded, and that would have been of, uh, of skepticism, a bit of an eye roll, because kingdoms come and go, right? Uh, it, it wouldn't probably have been too long before this announcement of the kingdom of God that you would have heard of the announcement of the kingdom of, of another person. And so you probably would have said, okay, a new, new kingdom's here. It's going to be gone eventually. We'll just kind of keep on going through life. Uh, if you weren't skeptic, maybe you would have been excited because maybe you would have said, I've really been fed up with this kingdom that's been, that's been happening now. I'm ready for something new. Or maybe you would have been kind of the opposite of that. You would have been very excited about what has been happening, and so you would have been worried to hear that something new was coming, and so you didn't want things to change, and, and that's how perhaps we could have responded to the announcement of the kingdom of God. What I'd like to do today is, is I would like to talk about what we do after we hear such an announcement. Talked about it last week. We, we talked just a little bit about it this morning. But if the kingdom begins with an announcement, the next step we have to take is how do we respond to that announcement? And what is ours to do when that announcement is given? And it begins, at least for me, in defining what we talk about when we say the kingdom of God. What does that actually mean? And I'd like to put some language to that. Once again, talking about a concept that is, is pretty abstract, even in the different parables we read of Jesus. But I want to try to put some language to it, and it's this, is that the kingdom of God is when things go the way of Jesus. And of course, we're not just talking about people going the way of Jesus. We're talking about situations. We're talking about environments. And for the purposes of this discussion, there's really two different ways that we can approach life. And I think it's helpful for us to look at these two, once again, broad, generic ways of approaching life. The first one is that there is just simply no hope. And that there is just simply no reason to, to wish or to hope or to dream for something new to happen. And the kind of, whether it's a conscious or, or self-conscious disposition you take, is I'm just going to ride this thing out until it's just over. Uh, not necessarily wanting it all to be over, but understanding that things aren't really going to change until it's all, it's all said and done. Another way we can look at it is, of course, a completely different way. And we get a picture of it when we actually look at the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. We read this first in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, where if, you've, if you're familiar at all with the Lord's Prayer, um, which hopefully you are, is this prayer that we read in the Gospels where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And what results in that teaching is language that sounds a little bit like, for his will to be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And perhaps you've heard that before. This is exactly what we are talking about, though. When we talk about the kingdom of God is that when people pray that prayer, God actually hears it, and he wants to see that as a reality just as much. And so when we talk about things going the way of Jesus, we just need to simply look at the life of Christ and see what results as, um, as an expression or fruit of his ministry. Things like broken lives being made new. Things like relationships and situations that are broken being mended back together. Things like the poor and the orphaned and the widowed being cared for by the people of God. See, here's the thing, is that present day, people all over the world, every single day, are making decisions to go the way of Jesus for the very first time. And what that then means is that more and more people are being able to be part of the kingdom in heaven being done in similar ways on earth. That it actually happens through people. We're going to look at a passage in just a moment about of how Jesus puts language to this idea that the kingdom of God exists within us and that it, it comes through us, is that when things go Jesus' way. And I'm excited that RCC is doing this particular series is because the best way for you to get a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like is just to simply study Jesus' life. <laughs> Put yourself in his shoes, but then understand that we're not reading about Jesus to read about someone who did something once. We're reading about Jesus so that we can have motivation and an example to follow as, as people to, to live in the lives that we currently live now. So I want to give you a list of three words, and once again, the context of this list is entering into the kingdom or going the way of the kingdom. Talked about how it begins with an announcement how it looks like things going Jesus' way, this is where we step into the picture as people. And this first word I want to give you is a simple one. It's not rocket science. We read about it in Mark chapter 1, and it is follow. That's where this all begins, is you hear an announcement that a new kingdom is here, that, that there's a new way to live, that there's an opportunity for a new life to be lived, and you make a decision. And it's in response to the invitation that Jesus gives, as we read in Mark chapter 1, to a couple groups of uh, fishermen. And he simply says, follow me. But one of the more important things to understand here is that if you're following, you can't lead. There's beauty to the kingdom of God, but there's some tension to the kingdom of God as well. And the tension is, is that there's someone else marking out the path before you. When we talk about Jesus having disciples, we are talking about people that literally followed Jesus around. And that when he taught, these are words that we read, these were teachings then that were being given for the very first time by anyone. And people actually followed Jesus. And in order for you to do so, you can't be leading that journey. And it's it's kind of a moment where you say, oh man, why do we say that? Because here's the deal, we, we live in a create-your-own-destiny kind of world, don't we? At, at, least a, at least a nation, 
You know, there's, there's a buzzword cliche that we attach to this life that we live, and it goes something like the American dream, where you get raised in a household with two and a half kids and a white picket fence and a dog or a cat, and, and then you go to school, and then you probably excel at one thing. You're excelling at everything, but maybe there's one thing that sticks out, and that one thing that sticks out kind of shapes your hopes and dreams for yourself, because we... We want to do things we're good at, right? <laughs> and so we find the thing that we happen to be good at, whether it's in the academic realm or, or the athletic realm, and we focus in on that thing. It affects where we go to college. It affects what we study. Or it affects if we go to perhaps a trade school or, or go another route after high school. And then, and then whatever we do after high school influences whatever we do for 40 to 55 years, and then we retire, and it's all done. And hopefully along the way, you got the car you wanted, the house you wanted, the boat you wanted, and, and, and good. Who's in charge of that path that I just described? You, me, us. And there's very little room for another person to influence that, let alone the creator of the universe. <laughs> Who has done a pretty good job, by the way, of creating and might know what's best for you. So when you choose to follow, what you are doing in the choice to follow is you are giving up leadership and decision rights in your life. And you are saying, I want to go the way of Jesus, but exactly what you are saying in that same breath is, is I can't go my way any longer. Be rest assured. What we believe is that of course, God created us. What I want you to know is that when you're giving up leadership rights over your life, what you are giving is the creator of you even more access to you. And the one who created you is the one who loves you the most and knows what's best for you. We read later on in the Gospels, Jesus talks about what it does look like to follow him. And Jesus himself says his yoke is easy, and maybe you know it, his burden is light. Meaning, it's not some weighted down life that we live when we follow Christ, but we're able to stand upright and straight and walk in confidence and humility and say that I am in relationship in communion with the creator of everything. But what does it require? It requires for, for us to go perhaps in a different direction. Which leads us to the second thing, and that is forget. <laughs> We have an announcement. We know what the kingdom of God is. We are choosing to follow. And the next thing we need to do when we talk about going the way of the kingdom is forgetting. A faithful way to approach the word, forget, there's another word we can use, and that word is repent. Maybe you've heard it. You probably read it last week in, in that opening chapter of Mark where Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Believe the good news. The most faithful way to approach the word repent is thinking about this idea of changing your mind or changing your direction. Uh, perhaps when you hear the word repent, you think of some preacher you've heard or something you've seen on television where, where repent more so means be really sorry. And maybe you resonate with that. Where repentance looks like uh, bow to your knees in prayer and just and just beg and beg and beg to God for him to forgive you and that you just need to be really, really sorry. 
Here's where that falls apart is uh, put it in your own context, your own shoes. When, when someone perhaps does something that wrongs you, they say they're sorry, they're sorry, they're sorry, and then the very next day they do that thing again that they were sorry for. What does that mean? Is that, is that to, to ask for forgiveness or to repent is not just to, to say I'm sorry, but it is to change how you go about life. Because what you and I would say to that person is, if you're sorry, then just change your ways. Don't tell me and then do it again. Change your ways. So this forgetting piece is forgetting the old things. Because here's the deal. In order for things to be made new, things can't stay the same. The prophet Isaiah, the the same Isaiah that says that there's going to be a voice calling out in the wilderness, John the Baptist, calling in this new kingdom of heaven, That same prophet in in Isaiah chapter 43 says, Forget the former things. God is doing a new thing. When God is in the picture, when Jesus is in the picture, new things happen. And in order for new things to happen, the things of old can't keep happening. And it's redundant, and I know. But what I have found in just my observations is that some of the more Stubborn groups of people are the people that are convinced that they have it right. And the people that are probably most convinced in our world that they have it right is, you guessed it, it's us. I'm not going to say that we haven't found a truth, because I really do think that there's one truth and believe that there's one truth and that, and that it's, it is Jesus, but we enter into this world of thinking that we have found the truth and we all of a sudden want to etch, etch things in stone and stop progress so that we can maintain the thing that's happening. That's a very difficult way to approach life. Because we're living in a world where evidence is king, where proof is higher than all, where in order for us to believe something, we need to actually see something. And Jesus speaks to a group of people often in the Gospels that had a hard time forgetting, that had a hard time repenting. And if you're familiar with the scriptures at all, this group of people is called the Pharisees. Have you heard of the Pharisees? The Pharisees were always asking Jesus a bunch of questions, but what they were most concerned about when it comes to the kingdom of God is where was it going to be and when was it going to get there? And the Pharisees wanted it to be in Jerusalem and as soon as possible. And so when this person who calls himself the Messiah and others call him the Messiah enter into the game, of course, they would talk to him about this kingdom of God. What they wanted to hear was it's going to be in Jerusalem and it's coming real soon. And in that scene of the Pharisees asking Jesus that exact question about the kingdom of God, when and where, when and where, Jesus responds to them in Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 20. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Another translation of that in your midst section is the kingdom of God is within you. And it's not only within you as an individual, but it's within us as a corporate body. 
and that somehow when we get together and we do things like serve high school students on a Wednesday night, that the kingdom of God is existing because we are together and because we are joining forces and contributing. So forget the old things. Repent of the old things. And what happens on the other side of that is embracing mystery. And that is one of the harder parts. But when you enter into this, you are entering into communion and and relationship with the creator of the universe, but there are going to be a lot less answers than you would like. And that leads us to our third and final word this morning. We have an announcement. The kingdom is when things go Jesus' way. We are following, we are forgetting, and eventually we will find. And what you will find is that when you go the way of Jesus, you'll find things you didn't know you were looking for. Part of me wonders when Jesus invites those first disciples to follow him, part of me wonders if any of those disciples really had any idea what they were getting themselves into. But all of me believes that they would have never done that over if they had the second chance. That none of them would have regretted that decision. Now, if you look at how those people's lives actually end, (laughs) those original 12, um, it all ends in, in, in death, probably way earlier than they would have liked. But what they were finding is that what they were giving themselves to What they found in that journey is things that they never thought that could be found. Things like purpose. Things like your job, your friend circle, your neighbors, your street. Having purposes for the kingdom of God that you never even thought were there. Things like healing, where the relationships that you're in with family and friends... Their healing takes place that maybe you didn't even know needed healing. Because here's the thing, when we get a new set of lenses to observe the kingdom of God, of course we see everything differently. And what we eventually start seeing well is things from our past differently, not just the present reality. And so when you start looking back into your life and back into relationships and back into past decisions with a new set of lenses, it really affects how you move forward. But what you'll find is healing. And probably the most important thing here, when we're talking about going the way of the kingdom, is you finding a new identity. Part of that American dream thing that we talked about earlier is us being put into categories and labels and segments. If you're on social media at all, we get an opportunity to to write bios of ourselves. And often we go where we're at religiously, politically, um, socially, emotionally. And we take these words, we take these things, and we, we attach them to ourselves and say, this is who I am. Your identity is not in that stuff. Your identity is in the creator of the universe who formed you and knitted you in such a unique and beautiful way 
that when it is unleashed and when there are chains and labels and categories taken off of you, you step into a life that you never thought you could live, that you never knew existed, which is one of the great things about being part of a local church like RCC, is that those things are best realized when we're in community with each other. And when we're in things like small groups or life groups, whatever you'd like to call them, or, or when we show up to corporate gatherings like this and, and participate in service and things like that, is your actual identity starts bubbling up to the surface, an identity that perhaps has been suppressed by label after label and category after category and expectation after expectation that has either been put on you by you or someone else. And so if you're in this room and you're thinking to yourself, I wish there was more to life than that American dream cliche that I described earlier, I want you to know that you are on the right track. And I want you to know that there is a path where, yeah, you might have to give some things up, but it's way better for you and it's way more natural for you and me. So a list of three things a passage of scripture from Mark, a passage of scripture from Luke. I want to try to piece this together with one more way. Um, I'm going to give you my best sermon illustration I have. <laughs> Pastors love their sermon illustrations, and they're always uh, paying attention to how life goes around them, thinking, um, you know, how am I going to use this for a sermon, right? This is my best one. You're getting my best here. Uh, the, the, the church planting journey that my wife and I were on uh, it, it, it has since ended and well, really began in Peoria. That's where we landed, but it actually started in another community. And so as we were uh, looking to plant a church in a community just out, outside of Joliet, Illinois, uh, I found myself as a substitute teacher uh, just to make ends meet, pay the bills, right? Uh, my wife's an elementary school teacher. My mother's an elementary school teacher. Um, my father-in-law is a high school teacher. It kind of runs in the family. My brother-in-law is a high school teacher, and so um, I just kind of stepped into that, and it was a, a great way to kind of earn some income, but then be involved in the community as well. Um, so teachers out there, keep teaching. Thank you. We love you. Don't ever stop, even though you want to stop every day. Don't stop. And as a substitute teacher, sometimes you get a little bit overwhelmed because, you're, of course, you're a substitute for someone who does it every single day. But I found myself in and out of this one same particular first grade classroom all the time. My mom's a first grade teacher, and those are some rugrats. And so um, I, I was tasked with needing to teach them something new, but then also just corral the cats, right? I mean, that, that's what it is. And so when you get a little bit uh, riled up as a substitute teacher, what do you say? You know what? We're going to color until lunch. <laughs> Everyone get out some crayons and a piece of paper, and we're going to color. And that's exactly what we were doing on this particular day. And kids were coloring, and it was nice and quiet and peaceful. But lunchtime came. And when I announced that lunch was here, as a first grader, of course, this is the best part of your day. You're going to have recess if it's nice outside, and then you're going to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and you're going to trade your fruit for someone's cookie, and it's going to be awesome. And so when I announced that it was recess time, or uh, lunchtime and recess time, these kids went insane. But what they had to reconcile was what to do with the, the, the pictures they were drawing. And one kid, you can call him Max, walked up to me and, and he handed me uh, his drawing. And he says, uh, Seth, I'd like you to have this, Mr. Major. I'd, I'd like you to have this. I said, thanks, Max. And 
the rest of that first grade classroom locks eyes on him, seeing him give me uh, his picture. And so the rest of the class immediately gets up out of their chairs, bum rushes me, and they said, here, take mine, take mine, take mine. And so I'm going home with, with, with 20 of these drawings. And the last person, it was a little girl, the, the last person to come up to me to give me their drawing, while she's handing it to me, says something that I really do believe is exactly what God says to us when he's talking about the kingdom of God. It's so important to me, I keep it with me. She hands me this. She hands me this piece of paper. And she says, it's not finished yet, but I still want you to have it. Which is a sweet thing for a young girl to say. But that is exactly what God says to you and I about his kingdom. Is that it's not done yet. It'll be done when Christ returns. But until then, I still want you to have it. Until then, I still want you to experience it. Until then, I still want you to participate in it coming down from heaven here on earth. So if you are wondering what your next step is this morning, what I have found is that although I've been following Jesus since 2005, I was baptized in 2005, what I have found is that when the rubber really does meet the road, it is an everyday decision to go the way of Jesus or not. And so if you're in here, and, and I'm going to start with one group, if, if you're in here and, and you haven't made that decision for the first time to go the way of Jesus, please let someone know if you want to make that decision today. Um, plenty of pastors and leaders here that can walk you through that and, and let you know what some of your next steps are. But if you are ready for something new to happen in your life, make that decision to go the way of Jesus. And for the people, as I, I kind of scan the room, I can probably imagine some of you have been following Jesus for decades and decades. It's so beautiful. And I love seeing the lives of people that have been just following Christ faithfully year after year after year, decade after decade. Do not stop. Keep going and do not think that it's out of the realm of possibility for God to do something even new in your life today. He's never quite done. It's not finished, but he still wants you to have it. Can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you offer an opportunity for life to be made new um, for us. And we, we're grateful that it's an invitation that you extend to us, and, and it's an invitation that you extend to everyone where you say, come, follow me, and, and when we follow you, you make things completely new in our lives. So for the person who's making that decision to follow you today for the first time or for the thousandth time, would you make yourself known? And in these moments we're about to share with, with, with prayer and with singing and with receiving communion, would you speak so clearly to us, Jesus? of what your next step is for us. In Jesus' name, amen.